let's go ahead and get started then. So we have we have a little bit to talk about, and I think um, we're going to start today with a little bit about how the Bible was constructed. And I know we talk about that in this class quite a bit, um, but today it, there's a really good reason for talking about it. And, and I kind of just want to back up for a minute and talk about this. What is this? Forget that it has the word Holy Bible on it. What is this? History. Collection of letters. Okay. <clears throat> Bigger, more general. Um, what is this physical thing I'm holding? A book. A book. Okay. So today, I know, you never know what I'm looking for, right? He's looking for a specific answer, Angela. Let's well, figure that out. Start. <laughs> um, this is called a book. It's also called a codex. This is one of the greatest inventions of mankind. Now, you might not really realize that. You might go, well, Brian, writing is, is a great... Yeah, writing was probably one of the first great inventions of humanity. <clears throat> the second great invention was the codex. A codex, or a book, is essentially sheets of writing written on two sides that are stacked together and then bound on the side. <clears throat> this is an invention that wasn't even invented until the first century AD, meaning the time of Christ, even after the time of Christ. What did people have before they had codices? Scrolls. Scrolls, and this is exactly the point of today's lesson. <clears throat> So, in the beginning, when people first started to learn how to write, um, they started to write on clay tablets. And what they would do in, in writing was invented for accounting. So, we have our finance and accounting people here. Uh, congratulations, you're the reason why we have written language today. Um, what would happen in antiquity was people would want to make sure that they had an accurate count of their stuff and their neighbor's stuff. And when they went to buy or sell or trade, they would know exactly how much stuff they were supposed to have before and after the transaction. And so they started writing symbols to symbolize their stuff. Well, what was one of the main things traded in antiquity in the very beginning? Livestock? Food. <clears throat> the very first written language consisted of symbols that looked like livestock. I want to know how many cows I have, and then I am selling to my neighbor, and then I will know how many cows he has after the transaction. From the symbols that we have in early, early antiquity, our writing developed. The symbol for an ox or a cow, the, the original language started with an ah sound, the, the you know, ox, okay, ah. The word ox has been around for like 10,000 years. Guess what? Over time, these symbols become our written language, and the sound for ah gets flipped upside down and is now our a today. So this is where writing came from. Well, once writing has been developed, it's not very easy to go find a clay tablet every time you need to write something down, because you have to go find clay, you have to make it, you have to press it, and usually what would happen is, in order to keep that forever, you would have to bake it. Well, that's a big, long process. Guess what? After, after some time elapses, people learn to make paper. And so basically, these, these reeds, you know, they kind of look like this. It's a relative of the grass called a, a, a cypress, or cyperus, <coughs> cyperus papyrus. Growing in these marshy regions like in Egypt, they could take this plant material, spread it out, paste it all together and guess what now you've got sheets of paper and and once you have sheets of paper you can take carbon that's that's dissolved in water or oil and you can you know take something pointy like a feather quill or a stick and you can write on it and now you've literally got the invention of writing on paper okay where am I going with this promise is gonna mean something it's like a Dunder Mifflin like yeah. with, uh, TED Talk with TED Talk. It's going to be a half hour. Um, once you have writing, now you need to have a way to store it and transmit it. And so what ends up happening is um, you have these sheets of paper. Well, once you write on a piece of paper, and typically these pieces of paper would be very long, very, very long, in fact. They could be very, you know, you could just keep mashing these pieces together to make one single continuous piece. Is it very easy to store paper as big open sheets. You know where I'm going with this. 
the, the ancient people learned very quickly that the best way to store these pieces of paper were to roll them up. And so you get the invention of scrolls. Okay, here's my cinnamon roll that looks like a scroll. <coughs> here's the point. This isn't gonna be figured out for thousands of years. All I have right now are these things called scrolls, pieces of paper rolled up with writing on them. <coughs> What's the problem with scrolls? What are some of the problems with them that, that makes, makes them, them not very, you yeah. know, it, it, it makes them difficult to use. What's, what's a few of them? Every time you roll it and unroll it, you're wearing it out. <coughs> and why do I have to roll it and unroll it? You have to read it. Or to add to it, or... How many people remember VCR tapes from the 1980s? <laughs> yeah, my wedding's on one. Remember what? VCRs. This is my point. Whenever you needed to get, remember, remember you've got this VCR tape of Top Gun, and you just love the volleyball scene. I'm, I'm doing this for Angela. Oh, geez, I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm weak. Also, oh, your goose with the shirt on. Yes. I'm just kidding. Um, every time you had to get to a scene in the show, you had to push the darn fast forward button, and then you had to wait. And you wait, and you wait. And there was no way with VCRs to really encode where you were, so you had to just keep looking, right? Or you could stop it and fast forward it without watching, but then you had to guess. Okay. Okay, am I getting close? Am I getting close? Okay, play and check. This is exactly the same problem with scrolls. A, a magnetic VCR tape is a scroll. It's a magnetic scroll. It's exactly the same principle. So now you've got the problem that anytime I need to turn to 2 Samuel, I gotta scroll through this darn thing. What's another problem with scrolls? How long could you make them? Well, big as you can carry. Big as you can carry? I'm just assuming they're hard to trip. Like yep. store and transport, like they, yes. you know, they take up a lot of room. What we're getting at is, there's only so long that you can use a scroll lengthwise before you just say, I'm tired of writing on the scroll, I need a new scroll. Or you couldn't afford to buy a scroll that would be, you know, 5,000 feet long. So <coughs> scrolls almost never contained all of the information you wanted. Um, they were usually very short. They might even be as short as a single piece of paper we have today. Very little scrolls. So what happens from that? What happens from that? That means that instead of having a book or codex of all of the stuff that you consider important, either religiously or economically, agriculturally or what have you, you've got a whole room full of these scrolls, okay? They're all piled up in all these piles, okay? Now you can see where I'm kind of going with this. No way to ID them. Say it again. You can't ID which girls which. Oh yeah, there's that too. I mean, so, you know, the fancy people would have some kind of notation on them. You know, this is, this is the A scroll, B scroll, C scroll. But I get your point. Um, it, it's very. You've got this whole thing where you've got tons of these different scrolls. Now we're going to kind of get to the point of what I'm talking about today. If I were to ask you, as a good Hebrew, in the fifth century B.C. What is your Bible? They would look at you dumbfounded. What do you mean, what is my Bible? Well, even the word Bible today is a modern invention, which means book. Actually, it's, it's, it's plural, but point is, Bible means the invention of this, a book that contains all of the stuff I feel is important. <laughs> if you were to ask a Hebrew or a Jew in the, in the fifth century BC, what is, your, what is your, your Bible or your Hebrew Bible? They would just look at you. If you ask them, what are the important writings that you feel are important religiously to your religion? Oh, okay, well, let me show you. I got all these scrolls in my room here. <clears throat> How were these scrolls copied and transmitted? Slowly. Say it again. Slowly. Slowly, by humans writing very yeah. carefully. Well, and two people watching, making sure you do it right. See, there's this whole process. I can't yeah. just put you know, print, right? First of all, most people couldn't read or write in antiquity. Um, very few people could. The people who could read and write were usually the, the priestly class or the aristocracy, the rich people. And so if I went to a community in, let's say, let's say Bethlehem. Let's say I go to Bethlehem. You better believe there would be um, religious people who, you know, maybe the, there's probably one person in town who was religious. 
Uh, maybe he belonged to the priestly class. You go to his house um, <clears throat> or the city center, the civic center, which wasn't a synagogue yet, but we'll get into that. And he would have this whole collection of scrolls. Now, if you were to ask him, what is the, you know, the authoritative um, collection of, of material that you feel is important for your religion, well, he'll be like, well, whatever I've got on the shelf. Okay, I'm just going to be clear about that. Let me, let me make sure I understand, you understand what I'm saying. Well, anything I've got on the shelf, I probably consider authoritative. Why? Because I have it. Because I, I copied it. Um, because I'm sharing this with my neighbors. Now, if I go to Bethel, and maybe that's a bad example. Um, maybe I go to some other city in, in Israel, um, and I go to the priest's house in that city. Well, I'm going to ask him, well, what is important to you? What is your authoritative list of, of information you consider important? Well, let me show you my room. Whatever you see on the shelf, that's what I consider important. Now, he's not going to keep a bunch of stuff that he doesn't feel important. Maybe today this is different. I have the Koran at home. I have the Bhagavad Gita. I have the New World Translation of the, uh, the Watchtower um, Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. I have the Mormon Bible. That doesn't mean I consider those things authoritative. I'm weird. In the 21st century, people are weird because they have stuff on their shelves that maybe they, they do or they don't really believe in. I use it for reference and for, for, uh, for understanding the other religions. But in, in antiquity, you wouldn't really have that. If someone had these scrolls in their house, that's because they thought they were important. Now, I get back to my point about there was no single book that contained all of the authoritative documents for the Jewish people. It was just whatever scrolls they happened to have or could get their hands on. Now, think about this. Remember I said that a scroll often doesn't contain very much information. It usually might contain a few chapters of what you would call a book. Um, remember last week in the service, we were talking about 2 Samuel 21. Let me go to that. Remember how I said that it appears as though 2 Samuel 21 to 24 was an epilogue. Remember I said that. The reason I said that was because it seems as though the other parts of 2 Samuel had been circulating, had been being condensed. Um, but again, you know, it was hard to fit all the stuff onto one scroll, so people would have multiple scrolls. Well, all of a sudden, we find that some people that had some other scrolls that ended up being 21 to 24, they started to see, oh, my friend, I got three or four of my friends that have these 21 to 24 scrolls, and they seem authoritative, and they seem trustworthy. And my friends are pretty convinced that they got them from people that descended from documents that David originally wrote. Remember I said that second, first and second Samuel weren't put together until years after David lived. Okay. Um, even though it bears the name of Samuel, he may have started writing a lot of this. He probably did because he was a learned priest. Uh, excuse me. He was a learned judge. Um, but over time, you've got all these, these, these scrolls that are, that, are, that are circulating. Okay. I want you to think about that as we talk about 2 Samuel 22 today. 2 Samuel 22 is almost a complete carbon copy of Psalm 18. Now, this is where I'm going. It only took us 20 minutes, okay? Because you might and other people might ask themselves, why is the same thing in the Bible twice? The Bible twice. And why, if you look at your handout here, does it appear as though there are differences? So what I have done for you today, first, just, just at face value, I have gone through, in a very unscientific way, to compare and contrast 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18. Now, first of all, this is unscientific because I didn't use the original Hebrew text, or what you call the critical text for Hebrew, the, the, the text that scholars think was the original Hebrew for these two passages. That would have been the best way to compare them. Because as we know, Hebrew is not English. Um, certain words would be used or not used. The order of certain words is important. The English is a translation. But I did it you know, just kind of quickly. I took the ESV versions of both, and I just lined them up side by side. <clears throat> now what I've done for you to show you how, this, how the Bible works is I have put the text of 2 Samuel 22 in black. So that's what I started with. We're starting with 2 Samuel 22. 
And then I went through and compared it to Psalms 8, Psalm 18. Now where they differed, I made a note. Let's say the text of Samuel is not found in Psalms, <clears throat> Psalm 18. Then I just crossed out the second Samuel. That doesn't mean that it's not there in second Samuel. It means it's not there in Psalm, Psalm 18. <clears throat> in other cases, there are words added or duplicated in Psalm 18 that do not appear in the second Samuel text. And those I made in bold green, <clears throat> okay? So those are kind of the additions. Lastly, and we'll get to this at the end, is there seem to be a lot of verbal and noun similarities to the song of Hannah, or Hannah's prayer, that we had all the way back in, gosh, was it 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2? This is the prayer that Hannah makes because she's barren and wants a son, and as we recall, um, God honored her prayer by giving her a son, and that son was who? Samuel. Samuel, exactly. So, you know, I, I think this is more a reference for you to kind of understand. We're going to read 2 Samuel today. Now, it's a reference for you to understand how this works. Now, you might be looking at this and going, well, Brian, I thought you told me that the Word of God is immutable. It is. The Word of God is immutable. The scribal texts that convey the Word of God differ. Now, that's the point which half of you have decided you're not coming back next week. Okay? I get it. I get it. However, that doesn't mean it's wrong. The Word of God is immutable. It is unchanging. It is the truth of who God is and why he created you. Writing that down over time leads to certain changes that were both accidental and deliberate. What we're going to get at today, and it's very interesting, and kind of why we're talking about this is 2 Samuel 22 is a psalm. It's, it's a poem written by David in which it seems as though the editors of 2 Samuel, the people putting all this together, saw, well, this is a psalm. This is, this is a song or a poem that David wrote. It doesn't really fit into the historical piece that, I, that we've been putting together. So we, we've taken all the scrolls that seem to correspond to the time of David and Saul. Let's just say this is all of my collection here. I'm going to take all these pieces of my collection that seem to be telling the lives of Saul and David. <clears throat> Guess what? I got tons of other stuff in here, bro. I got tons of stuff that's all the poems that we think David wrote, Moses wrote, you know, the sons of Korah and all those other dudes, Solomon, right? So first we're going to start with the pieces that seem to be the historical narrative of who Saul and David were. And we're going to put those together. And that's what ends up becoming what we would call First and Second Samuel, okay? But we've got all this other stuff. <clears throat> the, the editor of Second Samuel seems to have decided that he wanted to end Second Samuel with a very clear representation of who David was. <clears throat> And, and what he felt in his soul. And how many people have read Psalms? Goodness gracious, the Psalms of David are amazing. I, I could read them every day of my life because they really get at who David was and who I want to be. They get at this true and, and just deep love and affection for God and, and this deep affection for God in us. <clears throat> It seems as though the author, editor of 2 Samuel said, I want to take some of these other scrolls and put them in just to make the point, just to make the point of who David was and the great character he was. Because we remember, too, that as we get to the end of 2 Samuel, this is kind of the decline period of, of David, remember? This is, David has peaked. He's been a great guy. He's, he's won all these battles. Israel's obviously becoming more wealthy, more educated. But then there's Bathsheba, and then there's Absalom, and then there's a whole, whole bunch of very terrible family issues. And it seems as David is in decline. It, it appears as though the author wanted to kind of button up 2 Samuel and say, but, but wait, even though all this decline stuff happened, David was still an amazing guy, the archetype for our Messiah. We want to end on a good note, okay? But we'll read 24 next week, and it's, it's not a great note. But, but he still is trying. He still is trying to show how great David is. It seems as though he included one of these pieces. He goes, okay, this is a writing that I have that I think is this, this poem of David. And I want to include that at the end. Now, 
Remember what I told you about how writing worked in antiquity. <clears throat> it is obvious, folks, that 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 are not an accident that they are, they are almost identical. That didn't happen just, you know, two people writing independently did not just happen to come up with 99% similarity. They're obviously based on the same original text. I have a point to this. David in the very beginning, probably in, let's say, 970 or 980 BC, <clears throat> writes what will become 2 Samuel 22, the song of praise. Okay. Over time, that scroll is copied, it is transmitted, it is shared amongst the priestly class of Israel. Over time, some people that had these were putting together a collection of worship songs that they wanted to have as their kind of standard Sabbath worship period, just like we have in our worship time every Sunday here at Pathway. Um, they saw this and they go, I want to incorporate this into our musical literature. Okay, So this, this original poem was probably a poem or a prose, some, some writing that David did, but someone was looking at this going, well, I think this could be set to song. Now, now how do you sing songs? What are the best kinds of songs? What do they have as their characteristics? Praising God. Okay, the content, praising God. What about the physical structure? What do we like about songs? Rhyme. They rhyme. They rhyme. What else? I was thinking electric guitar, but... Boom! Well, that's only the, the right <laughs> worship. Oh. Yeah. No organs, right? They have rhythm. Yeah. Think about that. They have, they have a rhythm to them. They have rhyme. They repeat. Right? So we, we might have a chorus, and then we might have some new material, then a chorus. And looking at Psalm 18, it is, it is obvious that someone has taken this material from David and decided to kind of not change it in the sense, just to kind of tweak it so that it works better as a song, so that it's easier for people to sing and to memorize. And remember, in antiquity, 90% of people couldn't read or write. How did they remember things? Through poem and song. They would have rhymes. They would sing. Um, that's how people learned, and that's how they transmitted information. So at some point, the, the author of the psalm took this David poem and tweaked it a little bit to make it fit and rhyme and that kind of thing. Now, you're looking at it going, it doesn't rhyme. Well, it's not in Hebrew. <laughs> okay. So don't get too caught up on the English. <clears throat> All right. That was my point here, and I think that's an apologetics piece. It's to understand... <clears throat> Just because you see things in the Bible that may not make sense to you at first blush, there is a reason for it. And it's important to understand how the Bible was constructed to understand that reasoning. Now let's get into the good stuff and actually read 2 Samuel 22 because it's great. It's really good. It doesn't have to be Angela. Do I have a, uh, do I have a volunteer to read? It's going to be 1 through 51. Do it if you want. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You can. Right. <laughs> Laurel, Laurel, do it for you. Oh, okay. I don't care. Okay. Do you want me to read oh, this? Oh, we can split it up, too. Oh, um, go ahead and, and you can just read whatever Bible version you have. Okay. Um, if it's easier. Because I don't care. You, you can read that if it's easy to read through all the crossed out stuff. Okay. But you can't read the green stuff. Okay. No green stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll just read this, whatever. Okay. Okay. David sang the song to the Lord when the Lord saved him from Saul and all his other enemies. He said, the Lord is my rock, my protection, my savior. My God is my rock. I can run to him for safety. He is my shield and my saving strength, my defender and my place of safety. The <clears throat> Lord saves me from those who want to harm me. I will call to the Lord for he is worthy of praise and I will be saved from my enemies. The waves of death came around me. The deadly rivers overwhelmed me. The ropes of death wrapped around me. The traps of death were before me. In my trouble, I called to the Lord. I cried out to my God. From his temple he heard my voice. My call for help reached his ears. The earth trembled and shook. The foundations of heaven began to shake. They trembled because the Lord was angry. Smoke came out of his nose and burning fire came out of his mouth. Burning coals went before him. He tore open the sky and came down with dark clouds under his feet. He rode a creature with wings and flew. He raced on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his shelter, surrounded by fog and clouds. Out of the brightness of his presence came flashes of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High raised his voice. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. His bolts of lightning confused them with fear. 
The Lord spoke strongly. The wind blew from his nose. Then the valleys of the sea appeared, and the foundations of the earth were seen. The Lord reached down from above and took me. He pulled me from the deep water. He saved me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me because they were too strong for me. They attacked me at my time of trouble, but the Lord supported me. He took me to a safe place. Because he delights in me, he saved me. The Lord spared me because I did what was right. Because I have not done evil, he has rewarded me. I have followed the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. I remember all his laws and have not broken his rules. I am innocent before him. I have kept myself from doing evil. The Lord rewarded me because I did what was right, because I did what the Lord said was right. Lord, you are loyal to those who are loyal. You are good to those who are good. You are pure to those who are pure, but you are against those who are evil. You save the humble, but you bring down those who are proud. Lord, you give light to my lamp. The Lord brightens the darkness around me. With your help, I can attack any army. With God's help, I can jump over a wall. The ways of God are without fault. The Lord's words are pure. He is a shield to those who trust him. Who is God? Only the Lord. Who is the rock? Only our God. God is my protection. He makes my way free from fault. He makes me like a deer that does not stumble. He helps me stand on the steep mountains. He trains my hands for battle so my arms can bend a bronze bow. You protect me with your saving shield. You have stooped to make me great. You give me a better way to live so I live as you want me to. I chased my enemies and destroyed them. I did not quit till they were destroyed. I destroyed and crushed them so they couldn't rise up again. They fell beneath my feet. You gave me strength in battle. You made my enemies bow before me. You made my enemies turn back, and I destroyed those who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to save them. They called to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat my enemies into pieces like dust on the ground. I poured them out and walked on them like mud in the streets. You saved me when my people attacked me. You kept me as the leader of nations. People I never knew serve me. Foreigners obey me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all become afraid and tremble in their hiding places. The Lord lives. May my rock be praised. Praise God, the rock who saves me. God gives me victory over my enemies and brings people under my rule. He frees me from my enemies. You set me over those who hate me. You saved me from cruel men. So I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. The Lord gives great victories to his king. He is loyal to his appointed king, to David and his descendants forever. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> Let's dive in. What, uh, what jumps out to you guys? <clears throat> well, number one, right away, it lays the foundation that this is something David's saying clear back rescued him from Saul mm -hmm. so this is a reflection from a long time before you know present tense in the Samuel yep. saga I love it okay. he definitely paints a picture with words mm. you know like you can see God like I mean, he's picturing God with smoke coming out of his nose and things are shaking and, the, you know, he tore open the sky and, you know, like, just, it's, the way he writes is very, you can see it, you can picture it, you know? Yep. I love that. That's great. <clears throat> and I guess he's really showing the power of God, like how much he thinks... You know, how much power he thinks that God has mm -hmm. under this little pot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't some would be yeah. God, you know. It shows his love for God, right? And in, in that too, just how much he at that time looked to God and knew that, like the Lord said, his, his power came from God. Very yeah. thankful. I love it. And just, you know, <clears throat> thankful and showing his love. Mm -hmm. Verse 7 talks about his, uh, in his distress, he called out to the Lord. It's a good reminder to us because sometimes we go through distress and, oh, I think I need to go to the Lord because I can't deal with it on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, but, what does someone asking someone for help imply what do they think that person can do for them 
Help. Help. He's calling out to God because he thinks he can help him. If I was trapped under something heavy, I wouldn't call Lily. I mean, yeah, I love her. Uh, you know, she's got stick arms and she's, she's 10. I, I feel like it also kind of shows his theology. Right. Okay. Like I've been reading Job, and like Job talks, so you hear, you understand what Job thinks about how God is, and that his friends talk, and you find out like what they think God is like, and like this <coughs> song, he's showing like what he thinks God is like, you know, because it says like, you know, you're loyal to those who are loyal, yeah. you're good to those who are good, well, you know, that. you bring down the yeah. proud, and yeah. so like that's what he. Boys need those. You call God for help. He might stun Lily, but with the Holy Spirit, she could probably solve the problem. Oh, well, yeah. And, and if she has some gamma rays, she'll turn green and lift it over my head, right? Uh, no, I think that's totally true, Dan. I'm being, I'm yeah. being silly, but uh, yeah, I agree. I, as I, so Steve made the point that this was, maybe he wrote this back when he was delivered from Saul, so it was early on. But I'm guessing that he continued to refer back to this, maybe. I'm kind of asking that question. Yeah. <clears throat> um, specifically because I look at verse 24, he says, I was also blameless toward him and I kept, and I kept myself from iniquity, which in, my, you know, in, in our eyes, in my eyes, I would say, no, he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, he all, somehow knew the nature of God, that God saw him as blameless long before Jesus came along. <clears throat> I mean, he just he states it. It doesn't. It's not like I think I was blameless, or I was hoping I was blameless, or gosh, mm. wouldn't it be cool if? Well, he wrote this before. He wrote this before Bathsheba, right? Yeah. But how many? <laughs> what did he do how, how that? imperfect I mean, was he before yeah. Bathsheba? Yeah, I think right. that's the other thing. That's not like yeah. the first time. Yeah. First time. Well, it really took me forty years oh. to sin. Yeah. Dang girl over there. <laughs> I think he was, you know, just referencing that he came to the Lord once he realized he was yeah. at fault, and then the Lord has made him blameless. This is a really good point. Um, uh, God, <laughs> if you were to, again, personally, side thing, I think the Pharisees get a bad rap. Now, I know that they didn't have their best perfect qualities. One of the things that I think a Pharisee would have tripped up on here is this. They forgot, like we do, that I am never going to make myself blameless. It isn't me. And you can think that you're a great person all you want. You can remember all the money you gave to charity last year and how when there was a homeless person on the side of the road, you didn't roll up your window and lock your door. You might have given him $5. You're not a saint. I'm sorry to, for you to hear that. <clears throat> What we forget is that we have never been blameless. It is only through God and his grace and mercy that has made us blameless and righteous. <clears throat> Holy. The whole reason you are going to spend eternity with your creator in heaven is not because of you. It's not because of you. It's because of who? Who is the intermediary that made you blameless? God. Jesus. Jesus Christ gave you the ability to be blameless and to come before God of the universe as a sinner made righteous. David here is showing something that is really hard for the was really hard for the Jews to get and it's really hard for us to get. It wasn't our works. It was God that did it. And I love that. You go all the way back to Genesis three. When they messed up, God provided a way out with the sacrificial lamb. That's it. There you go. Yeah. Now they've got this system, the law, that was created to help them, show them there's a way out. It's just would cost a reminder that yeah. it's been there from the beginning. That's good. I like that. I think through the, as, as I was listening through the first half of this or so, it sounded a lot like this was a, about war and yeah. the enemies with their bows and arrows and their spears and all that stuff. And, <clears throat> and what dawned on me was there's this battle within us as well. Sin is not just... I, you know, slept with a married woman or whatever we want to point at. <clears throat> the sin is recognizing that I don't, that, that I'm, so, so yeah, before Bathsheba, David was what? 
Mm -hmm. And he was the scrawny little kid. How much did he feel like, man, I'm just this worthless little shepherd boy, which is not true. It's just not true. And that's a, in, in my theology, if you will, <clears throat> that is a sin to say I'm weak, I am no good, I got mm. nothing to offer. I'm, if, I'm, if I'm down on myself, <clears throat> I, have to re, I have to have God remind me who I am. What's well, Psalm 51? Our sin's not against God. They counts against us. All our sins are against God. Yeah. And that's what we've got to remember. Yeah, Satan definitely wants us to hear all those things about ourselves. Yeah. But God constantly is saying, like, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Like, yeah. you're people from my own possession. Like, he's saying all these good things about us, but we don't listen to the, like, you know, Satan wants us to hear all the other things. But God's like, no, I've already told you, you know, you're fine because I made you fine. I how many, exactly, how many people have read <coughs> Jeremiah? The book of Jeremiah. Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. I love Jeremiah. Don't get me wrong. I think he is one of the great authors of the Old Testament. Absolutely. Brilliant. A brilliant man who faced a lot of, of criticism and hatred because he was telling the truth when Babylon was and did destroy Jerusalem in 586. One of the problems or traps that Jeremiah falls into occasionally is this woe is me thing. <sighs> Again, God, look at how much I'm suffering. Can't you come and save me this time? <laughs> I'm doing my best. Why aren't you helping me? <clears throat> As I think about Jeremiah, and I'm reading 2 Samuel 22, I don't see any of that. I don't see any woe is me here. <clears throat> I think that tells a lot about David and his character. David had a lot of problems, folks. He was hiding in caves for many years of his life. <coughs> he was on the run. His own sons tried to kill him and take over his throne. But here, in this narrative, you don't see that. You see a man who is wholly and completely happy that God has done what he has done, and he could continue to do that. That convicts me, because I'm a woe-is-me prophet. <laughs> I'm Jeremiah. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're David. I'm not. I love this because he's not focusing on the negative. You know, how many times have I gone to God in prayer in the morning or in the afternoon and said, my, my boss blah, 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 or my coworkers or, you know, <clears throat> people I know in my life or what I've heard from Facebook, you know, <laughs> drive me crazy. God, why can't you just intervene, right? I've thought, I think that a lot <clears throat> and I'm convicted here. I don't see any of that. What do you guys think about that? New Testament says that it's not, we don't war against flesh and blood. Mm. It's the spiritual, it's the, it's the enemy of our soul. It's, um, one of my favorite quotes, John Eldridge says that uh, the story of your life is the, I'm going to butcher it, but is the constant assault by the enemy of your soul yeah. who knows who you could be and fears you. And this, when it's it's so easy to just go. The enemy was the Philistines, you know, the ites mm -hmm. and the, the all of those guys, and the ones with the, you know, that are coming against Israel. Mm -hmm. But the enemies, enemies within. I fought. I had a poverty mindset. Just grew up with it. Single mom. We had the. We didn't have anything. You know, we just never had anything. And this poverty mindset became who I was. I'm just never going to have enough money. I'm never going to. Make it. I'm never this and never that. And, and man, the, the ways that I tried to live that out and fight against it or just submit to it or whatever it was. And it wasn't that I had to become rich or have notoriety or whatever. Just poverty was, it, it drove my bus. It ran my life. And if I was seeking more money or trying to get rich, that was out of that poverty mindset. If I just gave in and said, this is how it's always going to be, I can't afford anything, blah, blah, blah. I just let that be. And then one time when that got brought to my attention and I prayed against it and I cast that out in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, all of a sudden it was like, oh, I don't have to live that way, right? That was my enemy. That's what, I mean, and that is sin, not something that I tried to do, but it's, it didn't meet what God said about me. 
And that's not just about money. That's about just, oh, poor me. Look at me. He's got all these old rags to wear. I mean, even this morning, mm-hmm. I put on this shirt, and I'm like, oh, man, I think I've worn that in the last three, four or five weeks, you know, because I have, like, ten shirts, but I don't care. I just don't care. That's, but back then, man, if I had only ten shirts, I'd be like, look, look how poor I am because I only have ten shirts. What a loser. It's amazing how, and it's a twisting thing, too. How many of us grew up in a church where, you know, I wouldn't say it was always like this, but there was an air of shame, guilt. You really think you should be doing that? Well, all of us up here on stage are perfect people. You don't have your act together. Don't you need to get it together? Shouldn't you be a better person? And that comes sometimes from a good place. I mean, I can't say that it doesn't. The idea that, yeah, I want people to be better than they are. I want to be better than I am. The point is that Satan can then take that Holy Spirit gently guiding us to make better choices. And Satan can twist that into, you're a bad person, Ken. You deserve to go to hell. You're not good at anything. People hate you. And to your point, too, when we tend to start acting the way God wants us to act, oh, there's a huge target on your back, dude. Huge target. I've noticed after certain classes or when I preach, things sometimes get really bad for me for a couple of days. And I can feel Satan being like, I'm going to destroy that guy because he's a threat to me. Ken Hawkmith, realizing that he is empowered by the grace of God and, and doesn't have to focus on his flaws, I'm going to destroy that guy. You know why? Because he's building the kingdom. Steve Cruz is building the kingdom. And I'm going to, as soon as he starts being an elder, I'm going to start raining down hellfire on him. First, I'm going to make everyone around him seem like they hate his guts. I don't know if this really happened. I'm just making it up. Everyone loves Steve. Um, And I'm going to tell him in in his mind, Steve, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You don't know enough of the Bible. Who do you think you are? And, I, and I'm saying this because this was me, of course, when I started this. You're late to Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't want to go there, but <laughs> he's right. Okay. Don't you think that we get in the trap sometimes between wanting to be humble? You know, David does a great job of humility and praising God and lifting up praise to God through his humility, whereas we'll take humility. Yeah and run us right into the ground and, and take it a step further. And it really isn't being humble by the time we're done with it. How do we do that? This is the thing we struggle with the most, Steve. Humble, yet confident. And, and maybe not worrying. There's, you know, and here is the total end of this, which is anxiety and self-loathing. And on the other side, it's pride. Pride. And how hard is it? The whole Bible, folks, in some ways, you've got, I don't know, a few you know, tens of thousands of words here trying to get you right here. Don't do this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's going to be okay. But don't be a rhymes with trick. I think that David, when I read the Psalms, like when I read this specifically, I think David really understood who God was. Yeah. And I think that's how he was so humble is because when you really understand who God is, you understand your place relative to God. And so he could still be a confident military leader because he knew that God, he knew who God was. God's winning all the battles. Yep. He knew where he fit into the whole scheme of things. And I think that a lot of us, you know, like if we don't read our Bible, we don't study and we don't come to church, we just have an idea of who God is, but it's not who God really is. And how do you find out who God is? You have to seek him by reading and by studying. And And what else? Prayer. And what else? Talk to other people. Folks, your brothers and sisters in Christ are a foundational part of how you come to know who God is. Yes, it's reading the Bible. I hope you're doing that every single day. Yes, it's prayer. I hope you're doing that every single day. It's also fellowshipping with your fellow brothers and sisters who can help build you up and tell you important things. And then the fourth is probably consulting experts 
who can guide and direct you. How many, how many times have, I'm going to pick on you for a second, how many Let's times have we heard you in here say, are you guys fellowshipping with fellow believers every single day? Because I've heard you say the read the Bible part. Yeah, that, I, it's totally legit. I mean, some of my best highlights are, uh, I'll just, I get a, I, my girlfriend lives 45 minutes away, so I get to get in the car and go, who am I going to call today? It's like a little game I play. Who am I going to talk to for 45 minutes today? And sometimes I'll call Brian, and, and I have no agenda, and we don't, yep. I don't know what we're going to talk about. It seems awkward, like, wow, this is weird. I'm just calling him for really no reason. And the next thing you know, 45 minutes later, we're both better people yep. because of the conversation we've had. Who knows what it was about, but it's not, it's just because it's, we do it, you know? Here's your four pillars. A table without four legs <laughs> is a tripod. Uh, it's, a, it's a pole. You gotta have four legs to be stable. Read the word daily. Pray daily. Fellowship daily. It can be a text. Dude, it can be a text. It can, you know, just be a gentle, my friend Ned, um, he might, he's, he's been sending me a lot of texts lately. Just, I love you, brother. I hope you have a great day. Gosh, how awesome is that? That makes me feel so much better. Seek guidance daily. Daily. This is daily. It's not monthly, yearly. Who is God? Who did David figure out God was? Everything. The center of his life. Ah, center of the, the life onion. I mean, center of his life. Our life. The verse 29 says, For you are uh, my lamp of work, and my God lightens my darkness. So, okay. God led David wherever yep. he went, was in charge of it. Not David walked along and pulled God with him. He said, God, you're in charge. God, this is where I want to go. Come on, keep up. This is what I want. Here's my list. Okay, why aren't you giving it to me? Love this. Calls him his foundation, which it, it kind of really is the center of our lives. Yep. So and rock. I mean, that's. This word, this word horn, <clears throat> right in the beginning, verse 3, I hope your, your translation translated it horn, because um, that's what it means. My shield and the horn of my salvation. Horn doesn't mean <laughs> I'm blowing a trumpet. And horn doesn't mean that weird thing that the guy from Indiana Jones 2 wore. <laughs> it means a pillar of strength. Horn meant strength. And, and it also is sometimes translated array of light. Um, it's hard to explain, but <clears throat> Hebrew is a little different. Sometimes ancient pictures of Moses will show him with a horn, a, a, you know, an actual horn on his head, but that's not what it meant. That was a mistranslation by the artists. It, when he is shown with rays of light coming out of him because he has been transfigured through the presence of, of God, that's what that means. It means strength, it means light, it means power. God is our, our rock and our, you know, He's our strength. My uh, translation says he's my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. Power. So then you're <clears throat> translating power in there. It says he's, he's his vengeance. New American? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Is that New American standard? Yeah. Vengeance. <laughs> uh, let's do it. For the Avengers. Uh, vengeance is mine, says That's the what it is. Which meaning he's going to... You're gonna yes. get yours. <coughs> and you vengeance is for you. and vengeance, like, at least in Greek, is all is very closely tied to another word. Do you know what that word is in Greek? DK or dikaiosune. Vengeance is the same as justice. Now, the next time someone talks to you about social justice, they don't mean social justice. And I'm sorry if that rubs you the wrong way. They're talking about this. We are talking about the whole thing. God is our strength, our, our righteousness, and our justice. And whose hands do we put justice in? Brian Freeman's? Yeah. Well, see, that's yeah. the thing. Saul no. was chasing him the whole time. <clears throat> and he could, he had so many opportunities to kill Saul, but he put his, he let God take care of that. He Say it again. Yes, for Saul. Yeah, like and he could have taken justice or vengeance and all God. those things. And Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, was that who that was? <laughs> well. His hair in the tree. Well, that's Absalom, oh, but Absalom. you know. Yeah. I think what she's talking about is David had multiple opportunities to, to seek this on Saul. Who did he let God do it? It was God. How many God times do we take our own action, our own life? You know, this really isn't something I need to consult God about. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take this job myself, or I'm gonna do this myself. And, mm -hmm. 
Why? We'll, we'll call on God when it isn't going my way. Uh, which side of the thing are we starting to get here? Yeah, over there on the right. Right. I play Red Dead Redemption too. I love video games. They have this honor meter. With the volume down. It's kind of like this. This is, this is why I was late too. Um, it starts to move. The, the better of a person you are, or the worse of a person you are, it moves. And it affects things in the game like the, I know you don't care. Price of, of uh, you know, purchasing goods, or that the, the bounty hunters won't be able to find you. If you're, if you're a better person, you get better prices, people are nice to you, you get better rewards. But if you're a jerk, it's easier to rob people, it's easier to steal and get away with it. Um, <clears throat> the problem in the game is that it doesn't just go like this. <clears throat> it's a slow thing over time. Your actions incrementally and in, in small ways add up to moving that needle. The same is true in life. Red Dead Redemption is just like life. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying our, our choices slowly move us in one direction or the other. And it's hard to move back. And I get that. It's hard for us to say, I am being prideful here. I, I don't want God to lead me. I want to lead because it's my thing. I want God to do what I say. It's hard for us to let go of that. And if you're on this end, I've, I've been both. If you're on this end and you're worried all the time and you're up late at night, sometimes thinking about your life, it's so hard to move yourself back. And that's my point is that I get it. I totally get it. It's not like you're going to snap your finger and overnight you're going to be fixed. Verse 45 foreigners pretend obedience to me. Those are foreigners. Uh, and the problem is they work. Yep. They yep. work for you. They pretend obedience. That self-loathing? Self yep. Oh, look at, woe is me. Oh, look, yep. look how humble I am. Weeping. Well, and I think that's one thing, too, is we often conflate the two. Being humble is not self-loathing. <clears throat> Being humble is realizing that you yourself can't fix the problems that you have. You, you humble yourself and allow the Lord to do it for you. Self-loathing is, is just the woe is me, and it's the part that keeps you down. And oftentimes we conflate humbleness with self-loathing, yep. and it's totally not that way. And who might be telling you that, Rodney? <laughs> yeah, the great deceiver. Yes. <clears throat> Folks, you only have one enemy in this whole universe, and it's not the people in this class. I, I'd even submit, it's that guy. add on to what you said. That, <clears throat> you said recognizing that God, that God does it for me. And I would actually like to add in, God does it with me in that, too. Because yeah. I got a part in that. Right. I have a piece of that. Because the same thing can be said for yeah. confidence and pride. Like, yeah. you can be confident without being prideful. Yeah. So what's the cure? Let's say you're in this bucket. This is the, sometimes this is me. What's the cure? See God. Somewhere in the New Testament says that God has given us everything for godliness. I mean, that's, that's in here, right? That's the reading part. That's the knowing. Okay. <laughs> well, God created us for a purpose, and he's given us each gifts. So like, the part about being confident, well, like, God gave you a gift of teaching. Yeah. You need to be confident because God gave that to you, you know? And you shouldn't be have anxiety about that because you know that that was a gift from God that he wants you to use. And he also yeah. says, you know, like Paul, he says, like, my weaknesses... Mm -hmm. are, like he was given weaknesses on purpose to show the power of God, right? So, so we don't go to the pride uh, side. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, so that I may not. Yeah. How many people know Paul? How many people know Paul? I know who Paul is. I don't know about you. I think I know who he is. I can see him being a prideful person if he were allowed to unhinged. He said it. Yeah. What do you mean? Or, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, Jew of Pharisee of Pharisees. Yeah, yeah. Jew of all Jews. He was prideful. He what? And what? <laughs> exactly. He and un, and unhinged. He he wouldn't have even considered a thorn in his flesh as something that was good. He would have considered it an annoyance of God. Why are you doing this to me? Why God are you allowing this to happen? I'm a great guy. Now I'm Jeremiah again. What is the cure for pride? <laughs> and if not that, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> there is a cure. Here comes a thorn. 
There's right. a cure for all of it that is not this list. I would choose this list. I, I'd love, yeah, I would love to say that all of my growth, spiritual growth in life has been from those four things. But that was working. mostly my spiritual growth comes out of something stupid that I did that I said, oh, man. And, and then I turned turn back to that. The, the catalyst isn't just going, hey, I want to be better. The catalyst is typically, look what I did again. Or, you know, now I find myself in this position. I mean, after my divorce, I was, you know, I played that game of I'm free, I do whatever I want now. Mm -hmm. And I found myself sitting in a jail cell for 72 hours mm -hmm. because of some things I did. That was the catalyst that said, wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't live that way anymore. Should I sin more so that God's grace abounds even more? I love right. it. No! <laughs> Stop it. When I was working, this girl, I went that night out of the clear blue sky, she says, she called me by name and she says, so what are you going to do when I take your job? Oh, yeah. And I said, do you want my job? And she said, yeah. She said, I've already talked to the, to the supervisor. It's a done deal. I said, well, I guess I'll do the next best thing. I had no idea what that would be. I knew how to look for another job, but or if she, but what had happened was, I had they had posted for a quarter differential for working the whole weekend and twenty cents for half the work and half the weekend. So I I opted for the quarter first as my first choice, twenty percent second, twenty cents second second choice. Well, within a month, they gave me the 20 cents. Within another month, they gave me the quarter. Well, she was only getting the 20, she wanted the quarter. And I said, you want my job? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, you know, I didn't worry about it. My kids were raised, my house was paid for, I didn't have a car payment, it was paid for, but I did have a cat that liked to eat. <laughs> but. I didn't worry about it. I thought, well, that's up to God. If she takes my job, she does, and then I'll do whatever I have to do, you know. And uh, I didn't worry about it. So my time went on. I just kept doing my job the way I always did. We did the same job, actually. It was just the court, the money she wanted. And uh, so anyway, uh, Lo and behold, after so long a time, I thought, well, maybe I better check and see what's going on with the supervisor in case so I know what to do, you know? And uh, so I talked to the supervisor and she said, uh, no, she's not gonna talk to your job, take your job. She said, no, she hasn't talked to me and it's not a done deal. No, she's not gonna do that. I don't know why she said that to me. I don't have any idea why she did, but I never did it, and I didn't dawn on me till years, many years later. We still got along just like normal. Like nothing, she never said that, nothing. I didn't get mad at her because I didn't, it, it wasn't, bit, I figured it wasn't her. It was up to God. And if God didn't want me there, then I didn't want to be there. I liked that job, but uh, really liked it. But, uh, and I ended up keeping it. But, you know, it's, and then a couple of years later, I had pulled a muscle in my leg and uh, my foot, actually, and uh, my daughter worked the same place I did, only she worked days and I worked graveyard shift. So she could have the ID, she could take, go in with me and take me up to my desk. And then this girl that had said what she did to me, she went and got this thing for heating to heat my foot, this heat, give me heat on my foot, told me to go backwards on the office chair to go into the smoke room or the bathroom, I could go faster. And she didn't leave that morning until she made sure I got down the stairs. I'm gonna end on this because I think, I am very happy you shared that, Lorna. That is a powerful reminder for all of us that sometimes we have to endure arrows, assaults, our enemy attacking us, and we have to have the heart of Jesus and forgive and be patient and be gentle. And it hurts. It stings. Arrows hurt. They sting. <laughs> Guess what? You changed her, and you didn't even realize you were changing her. And I would even argue that it was the Holy Spirit 
doing it. You know why? Because you choose to do what 99% of the world doesn't, turn the other cheek and love and be patient with people. Yes, people are wrong. Everyone you know is wrong about something. Everyone you know probably hates you for some reason. Sorry, that makes you upset. Not you personally, Lorna. Everyone loves you. But it's only through this patience and kindness to others, it changes people. It changes people more than a Facebook post ever will. Go forth this week and love your neighbors and change them. All right, we'll see you next week.